and welcome to episode 3 of the RF Generation Community Playthrough Wrap-Up. I'm your host, Rich, or as you know me on the forum, Single Banana. And joining me, as always, are my trusty sidekicks, Mr. Fleech Floyd. Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. And Mr. Tech Wizard, also known as Jamie. Hey, glad to be here. All right. So this month, May, on the retro side, we played Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country 2, both on the Super Nintendo system. And then for the modern playthrough, we played Lost in Shadow on the Nintendo Wii. Before we get started and talk about these, let's tell the folks who are listening a little bit about where they can find us. So as you can find the episodes on Podomatic, iTunes, and YouTube. And if you want to interact with us, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and the RF Generation forums. All the links to those sites will be in the show notes. All right, thanks, guys. And without further ado, let's get to our retro playthrough for the month, Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country 2. For the retro playthrough in May, we played Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country 2. We had a good deal of participants this month, and one amongst those is our guest this month, Mr. Rido. I'm pronouncing that right. And for for Bill, I just want to say, Bill, this is how you pronounce this name. So that's going to be, you know, the good thing about having people on our show, as opposed to your show, is that we can now learn how to pronounce everyone's names. So, welcome, Rido. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I'm going to go ahead and kick over, kick it over to Jamie and uh, let him tell us a little bit about uh, the two games we play. All right, so uh, I think almost everyone knows, but DKC is a side-scrolling platformer uh, developed by Rare in 1994 on the Super Nintendo, as you mentioned. Um, it's this, one of the second uh, best sellers for the Super Nintendo, and I've heard mention that it apparently at the time more or less saved the Super Nintendo, like made it what it was, um, alongside I think it was Super Mario World. And uh, more or less the main objective of this game is to uh, recover Donkey Kong's stolen horde of bananas from King K. Rool. <laughs> and he doesn't really have much other motivation than that, than it's just uh, getting straight through it to the gameplay. and. Not much on the story here. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that um, I did a little research on this game, and I noticed that the last time that Donkey Kong was used was in Donkey Kong 3, which was actually released in 1983. This game wow. was released over 10 years later, over a decade later in 1994. So this was the, the next time that people saw this character and it's it's odd that such an iconic character for the Nintendo system there was an 11 year lapse and uh, that the, the company rare took such a, a big chance with with this game and with this character and it's become successful and you know we're, we're still getting Donkey Kong Country games today uh, which is you know which is fantastic that it's it's had this sort of legacy and uh, I, w I would say that <clears throat> 
you know, for myself growing up in the, you know, growing up mainly in the 80s and with the, you know, Donkey Kong cabinets and everything out in the arcade, I, I definitely remember those very well. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it took on kind of a, a, a different breed, right, as a platformer. Mm -hmm. um, definitely, it was pretty unique uh, for the time in quite a few different ways. Uh, another big thing about it's uh, the gap in time between the last game uh, was that this was also the very first one not directed by uh, um, Miyamoto, and it was picked up by someone else, uh, according to Wikipedia, called Tim Stamper. Right. So it's a bit of a branch out for Nintendo to use someone else. Right. So guys, um, you know, tell us a little bit, bit about the gameplay, about the controls, and you know, I wanted to hear what you guys thought. I, I mean, I'm going to be honest here. I, I played, I played through, I, I don't know, maybe through 20 or more levels of the game. I think I, I made it through two bosses. I'm just, I wasn't very good at this game, and you know, ended up, ended up putting it down. You know, as um, you know, I was working on some other stuff at the time. So, um. You know, just kind of, kind of being honest on where, where my perspective's coming from. So, um, you know, just if you guys just tell our listeners a little bit about the gameplay. Yeah, it's definitely not the most difficult game, but it's it can be very frustrating at certain points. I didn't really find it too difficult until about World 3, I'd say. Um, or maybe mm. it was 4, the one with the snow, the glacial one. Yeah, that's 4. Um, was that 4? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and... I, I just uh, really noticed a steep learning curve after that point. Like, it was fairly smooth sailing up until that, except for one or two levels. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it was like almost every single level I was uh, consistently dying on. <laughs> so, uh, I'd say you cut off a, a pretty good point there. Uh, mm -hmm. Save yourself a bit more frustration <laughs> than you otherwise might have had. Well, Especially when you get to Croctopus Chase. That was yeah. very, very hard for um, <laughs> someone that's never played it before. I had that problem you know, when I first picked up the game back in the 90s, and I've basically gotten good through it purely because I've played through it so many times. <laughs> oh, really? How many, how many times have yeah. you, would you say you've played through this game? Uh, <clears throat> I played through... I'd say I've done like full, full playthroughs about three complete times, uh -huh. um, and that's to get to 100%. I've never I've never 101'd it, uh -huh. and every single time the missing bonus room is in a completely different level. So, across oh, all three playthroughs, I've gotten every single bonus room, but there is always one that I can <laughs> never remember. <laughs> well, that's that's an I I would say that's a that's a very important part of the game, the bonus rooms, oh, right? Yes. I mean, that's um, you know, of course you you don't have to collect these bonus rooms, but it's sort of an added feature. And, um, you know, I think something that makes these type of games a lot more attractive uh, to players, right? Um, so if you guys want to tell us a little bit about the bonus rooms and, you know, what the object of those are and, and you know, maybe finding them. Um, I think we're going to write, uh, Doe's going to know more of these than I do, but uh, uh, more or less they're just these... Completely randomly hidden rooms, and you can find them in a lot of different ways, like barrels that'll launch you into them, or uh, if you pick up a barrel and walk into a wall, it'll explode and break a hole into the wall, and different things like that. Um, what? Uh, I think one of my favorite. Even... What's that? Sorry. Uh, one of my favorite ones is a bonus room that's actually hidden within another bonus room. Oh, really? <laughs> and what you have to do is really sneaky. What you have to do is you actually have to. It's one of these ones where you have to get three in a row of a particular object. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, it's banana, a group of banana, or one up. And your natural instinct is to go to one up. But if you go mm -hmm. for a single banana, it, you end up with a barrel. 
Now, if you pick up the barrel oh, really? and throw it, you count as winning, you, um, and you leave and you leave the room. But if you pick the barrel up with Diddy and just ram into the opposite wall, you get pushed into another one, <laughs> uh, into oh, wow. another bonus room. And, oh, um, wow! We, you can yeah, we can get a grand total of six lives. <laughs> Wow. Oh, well, it looks like you yeah. taught us something new. Yeah. I was always wondering why they offered the single banana. I was like, who would ever go for that? <laughs> it's a room in a room. It's so meta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> meta room. I mean, as far as I know, it only happens once. Mm. Uh, but it was just really sneaky. And it makes you feel like a real... Uh, it makes you feel like really clever for figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to be able to try that. Well, that's awesome. I, I should mention, um, we, we did a little uh, uh, pre-gaming, a little pre-talking uh, before the show, and I figured out that Rido, um, he's actually, he's 33. He told me it was fine for me to say his age. So, um, you know, again, you know, we, we sort of mentioned it in the last show that I'm, I'm 37, and uh, Jamie and Floyd, you guys are 24, right? I got it right this yeah, time, right? Correct. Okay, great. So... <laughs> We're, we're all going to have a little bit different experiences. And I started putting that together in my head today. I have a brother that's 25. And, and so I was thinking about when he was born, which was in 1989. And then this game came out in 1994. So you guys would have been, what, four or five four. years old? Four. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, so, so you- I could have, uh, I would have been old enough to actually have possibly played this at the time, but I just didn't have a Super Nintendo to do it on, so... Oh, exactly. Um, me too. That age oh, so you were that skilled at four? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> well, no, but I was getting into video games, so... So, so the possibility was there. <laughs> so it's going to be... Let, let me tell you a little bit about myself, what I was doing at the time, and, and I, I was actually um, a senior in high school, and so... So I was, you know, getting ready to ramp up to go into college. I didn't play this game until I was actually in college. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't play it when it came out. have a, a little bit different perspective because of the, you know, different games that I was playing at the time. And, and that will come out later. I'll talk about that. But, uh, Rido, um, how did you first encounter this game? Did you did you first encounter this on release or um, in 94? Is that, is that around the first time you played this game? It would have been around 94, 95. Okay. So it would have been just after uh, just after release or shortly after release. Okay. So and how old were you at right that time? I believe I was, would have been 12 or 13. Oh, man. Prime yeah. age, right? You're like, you're like target yeah. zone right there. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, I probably would have been on the older... I probably would have been on the older edge of target zone, but yeah, I was... Um, I'd seen a lot of the pre-release hype for it. Uh, I'd yeah. seen like... Um, all the um, the footage of rare um, of rare developers going in and studying gorillas to get the movement right, get the movements of Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong right, right. and I was really eager for it. Uh, it's probably one of the first games that I that I actually got around the release time, as compared to several years after the game had been released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always cool your first one to uh, get brand new and experience the hype as it's happening. Yeah, and and that's. This is one of the first games I heard that they were releasing like VHS tapes to like promote it. You know, they were they were um, you can find those. And I, I know a lot of our people on our website collect those, but they were sending out like copies of VHS tapes to promote these games as they were coming out. And mm-hmm. Donkey Kong Country, as I've read, was one of the first games to to do the to do this. So that's that's, yeah, that's it's, really neat and interesting. It's funny, this seems like such a 
90s thing for advertising companies <laughs> to do. <laughs> right, right. Like nowadays you get a trailer on YouTube and back then they'd send you a VHS in the mail. Right. So on the flip side, Floyd Floyd and Jamie, when um you know, when did when did you guys first I mean, like like we said, you guys were like four years old when this came out. When did you first encounter this game? At what yeah, point? it was sorry, I was four when it came out. So I probably didn't play it until 97, 98, so I would have been 7 or 8 by the time I first played it. Uh-huh. And I just remember being really terrible at it. I mean, I'd, I'd get through <laughs> maybe the first few stages. Right. Um, but, uh, no, like, even though I had a blast playing it, uh, I just I don't remember being particularly good. Um, at least at that age, what stood out to me was... Um, like, the visual style of the game, and, uh, like, the music was super catchy. Like, that was a game that I wouldn't mind to just turn on to just listen to. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're but, right. Um, no, no, I, I, I do remember, like, playing it, and just it was super fun, mm-hmm. but, at, um, yeah, it just wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, it does, it, does have, it does have very catchy, very good music, and I think that's one thing we could probably you know all agree on as far as as that's concerned it's it's got to carry mm-hmm. kind of a nice kind of jungle beat and then the, the music changes you know with the 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 winter boards and you know it's 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 really cool and clever yeah it was all re- like really thematic and, and appropriate for the uh, for the stages absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely and before we get too far away and talking about you know those things about the game um Jamie, what was what was your first experience with the game? About how old were you, and do you remember it clearly? Yeah, I remember it pretty clearly because I was uh, twenty four and played okay. it with a group called RF Generation a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So, so 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 honestly, this is your first play. My very of the first game. time playing it myself. Wow. Anyways, I watched a friend play it um, at least a few years ago, and I've owned it for quite a long time now. Right. I haven't touched it until just recently, because I was never really big on Super Nintendo when I was uh-huh. young. Like, I had a lot of experience with the NES, and then kind of skipped Super Nintendo, went straight to N64. So right. Really just missed out on that whole generation there. Yeah. You missed out on a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed. <laughs> There's always time to catch up. That's the beauty of it, right? That's the, that's that's what the we're joys here for. of collecting. <laughs> that's why we started the playthroughs, you know. That's, that's, that's right. The, exactly. That's the whole reason. So, and and we've got we've been getting really good response in our playthroughs lately, and uh, you know, I, I just I, I really hope this continues, and you know, the participation's been phenomenal, and I appreciate everyone playing. Um, my my experience, as I was talking about earlier, I was sort of in college. Uh, I probably didn't play this until, gosh, I would say 97, 98. And um, my wa- now wife's roommate, she loved this series. And she played this series all the time. And that was my first uh, chance at playing that game. I was I was playing a lot of fighting games at the time, I think. Around that time, Killer Instinct was, you know, had come to the Super Nintendo, and of course the Street Fighter series. I was playing a lot of sports games because I was in college, and it was, you know, when you're in dorm rooms, you know, sports games are just kind of awesome to kind of kick around. Dude bros. Yeah, we were just dude broing it up, man, in college. So <laughs> it was, uh, you know, and um, you know, I didn't play it till then, and I, I guess, you know, being older. I kind of have a different perspective of the game. It was a little 
um, you know, it's a little kind of, it's kind of made for, for kind of a younger generation. Even the music, as we were talking about earlier, it sounds, you know, it's, it's real, it sounds kind of youthful, you know, and, you know, like little, little catchy beats and stuff like that. But, but she, she loved the game. I think I was, I think I was a little highbrow on it, uh, you know, at the time. Uh, but, uh, you know, going back and playing, it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun, really fun going back and playing it, um, I guess one thing we should maybe talk a little bit about is you mentioned that Rare, the British studio, uh, picked up this game, and I did a little research too, and they they took a big chance on this title. They uh, bought, they spent a lot of money on equipment to actually do these graphics. Um, they're they're sort of these two D pre rendered graphics that that sort of make the game appear as if it's in three D, and yeah visually it's one of the most beautiful games on the system right oh yeah by far mm-hmm. um one thing uh, that, uh like no I, I don't really know a lot about behind the scenes how they made it and all that but one thing i found really funny is uh, that uh, nowadays everyone's always like uh, oh i want to see gameplay footage i don't care about all these pre-rendered cutscenes and all that and back then uh, it seems like uh, it was the opposite opinion uh, like pre-rendered graphics were really impressive and everyone was totally ha- happy to play a game with pre-rendered graphics like this right. even now this one looks good and no one seems to care that it's pre-rendered right. um, it's just well, quite a change in opinion well that was its major selling point at the time yeah exactly What was once a selling point then is now uh, uh, considered a bit of a detrimental thing if everything's pre-rendered. Now no one's uh, as interested as they were back then. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I I still I still dig the pre-rendered stuff though. I think it's I think it can be really cool at times. And oh yeah, yeah. for uh, that generation, I definitely like it. Uh, Like it, it looks great compared to anything else at that time. Um, uh, But I just uh, think compared to nowadays, it's pretty funny how opinions change and all that. Yeah. So, so my experience with the game, and I'll kind of, I kind of tell you like things that I noticed about the game. I think it's a, it, the best word I can describe, use to describe this game is bouncy. It, it's very bouncy. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to describe it. Actually, I never yeah, thought of it that way, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, I feel like I'm just bouncing off of stuff all the time. I'm flying out of crap, you know, and just all over the place. It's very fast. Um. <laughs> You know, uh, probably one of the reasons, oh, people are going to hate me. For, I'm going to get hate mail for this, but probably one of the reasons I don't like the Sonic series is because it's so fast and just, you know, bizarre. Now, this isn't this isn't nearly up to that speed, but it, it, it is very bouncy and you're always flying out of things or, yeah, so. <laughs> you still have to have that same sense of rhythm that you would in, in a Sonic type platformer. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know, everything, it's like, Timed jumps and timed landings. Right. And you're right. It's a very rhythmic game. Um, it, it, it is. You know, you're bouncing. You're rolling onto something else to bounce off that. And, you know, and so on and so on. It's a, it's a very rhythm, very timely game. Um, you know, and it, and it really fits with how the series, you know, kind of extended into the, like Donkey Konga and things like that that are more kind of rhythm based, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, I mean... I, I guess I mean, how would you guys describe the game if you had to describe it to someone? Mm, I I think you covered it pretty well there. <laughs> um, Bouncy. Is it gonna be yeah, the I can't term? think of any other description off the top of my head, but like a single weird thing that fits it very well. Yeah, yeah. And you brought up something earlier that that I thought was was good. It it's one of these games that starts out and it's fairly easy. You know, the first boards are, are fairly easy. Um, you know, mm. the first few bosses are. 
they're they're fairly easy to I, I can't speak any further than the first two um but you know it's not it's not a very difficult game and then it it starts the challenge starts to up um for me and and where the challenge up for me and what i really kind of felt one of the things i didn't really care for about the game was the all the like the moving barrels and firing out of the barrels i could never get a good rhythm on those you know um for me it was it was difficult to dodge ones, uh, uh, or maybe you didn't even get to them yet, but there's these uh, orangutans that throw barrels at you, and Mm-mm. I could just never get the timer right on those. But uh, the timing of uh, being launched out of one barrel into another and all that, uh, most of the time it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Except for the ones where they introduced the bees as well at the same time, where you're trying to dodge them and shoot into other barrels too. Yeah, maybe it's just me. My timing's just bad. <laughs> <laughs> what about your uh, Rado? How do you feel about the timing? Uh, timing is one of the big hurdles of, of this game, but it's. I played this game three months ago as well as during the May uh, during the May playthrough. Uh, okay. Basically, I got tired. Uh, I've just felt like playing for something short, and DKC mm. just um, flew that knot. And it is a case of you get the timing. Um, you jump in into a barrel, and you just go into an automatic timing mode. Um, yeah, you know, naturally it develops with experience mm-hmm. and yeah. you can just go through and flow through and forget about the positions of the other barrels and the bees it just doesn't matter because you're in that natural it's a na- um, that's why I'm glad you mentioned the word rhythm because everything does seem to work more um, more on that, a certain sense of flow but if you stopped to think oh dear how am I going to avoid this bee <laughs> the flow's gone and you're more likely <laughs> to get yourself and, uh, yeah, and I found that during the May playthrough, I was suffering more from the panic than what I did when I was playing earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And you still managed to get the most achievements. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, I, I went out of my way to get the achievements just so uh, I could remember yeah. which levels I had the Kong medal um, had the Kongs on, the mm. Konglers on. Maybe it's maybe it's like my age playing this game. Maybe like having two kids makes me like less of a risk taker and less like free flowing, you know, with the the rhythm and stuff. I'm like I'm just kind of like, oh my god, it's a bee! It's a bee! What am I gonna do? I better I better wait. I better let it circle that barrel like six times before I decide to push the button. Because I mean that's how I was. I mean I was just like just kind of frantic, you know, with that. So. Yeah, same here. Just let it go a few times before you figure it out. <laughs> Oh, so the game has several different levels, and what what I like about the levels, as far as what I played, was was the variety. Um, you know, you've got you've got these sort of jungle levels. Um, I, I think I ended off at like the treehouse levels. That's where the barrels just got out of control, like firing. I could not get past that part. There's uh, those are the ones uh, that look like Endor from Star Wars, <laughs> right? Yeah. I actually, have it, I actually, it's funny. I have Endor written down right now, stuck in Endor yeah. treehouse level. That's on my notes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that that always gave me trouble too. That <laughs> level, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, and there, there's all these different levels, and you know, one of my favorite levels. Um, and I'll let you guys talk about your favorites, but one of my favorites was the mine carts. I, I really enjoyed those. Those were a lot of fun. Oh, those were my least favorites. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I, I just couldn't get the time rate on the jumps and I was hitting if, everything. If there was any level that required a sense of rhythm, it was the minecart levels. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, just, you know, and I think there were some segments where you had different tracks you could jump to uh-huh. and it it was a little too overwhelming for me. Yeah, sometimes you had to jump a little earlier than, than other times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially when Kremkrocks start um, coming at you in the other direction, you just go, whoa! Yeah. You just freak out and just bang, bang, start banging the jump button and hope that you get the timing right. <laughs> and then you do it too early and go off a cliff. <laughs> yep. Or into a crash minecart. So once again, I feel like odd man out. I actually did like those levels. I don't, I don't know why. I just it, it was fun for me. I, I did. Well, I, I enjoyed them too, but they were the levels that I sucked the most at. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like them f- uh, from like a gameplay perspective, but right. then those were the ones I would be spending maybe fifteen lives on just trying to get through one level. Yeah. Well, I, I did burn several lives. Yeah. You know, but. Um. But, you know, it's one of those things that I, I, I typically try not to make the same mistake twice. I, I make it at least five more times. But, <laughs> you know, but once you kind of get it down, you know, it, it's okay and it's second nature, you know. So. Mm. Well, the first minecart stage does give you a little bit of an out, where if you jump over the, the original barrel, you you will end up being shot out of another barrel towards the end of the stage. So you can completely skip the first... Um, the first minecart stage, effectively. Yeah, I saw something with on the forums. Uh, someone, was it you who mentioned that, maybe? Or someone? Uh, yes, that would have been me. Yeah, um, I didn't realize that at all, so I just had to push through it. But uh, that would have definitely made that one a lot easier. Mm. Though on the flip side, then you don't get as much practice before the uh, more difficult ones later. That's true. I think I was just like, I wonder what level that was that someone said I could skip. <laughs> 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 maybe I should look that up. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So, so how about you guys? I mean, you know, like I said, there's a variety of levels in Donkey Kong Country. What were there any that were favorites or that stuck out to to you guys? Uh, I'd say I like the uh, the snow ones quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about. So, I, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else I liked more. But uh, generally, in almost any game, I really enjoy the snow levels. Like I think I mentioned before. Um, they just always have nice atmospheres, and um, maybe it's a Canadian thing. <laughs> <laughs> We're used to it. Yeah. Home home turf. That's right. Uh, I, could, I don't think I could say a specific level, uh, but I did enjoy that world. Okay, yeah. And that's sort of what I meant, like sort of the environment, yeah. not like specific level, but, you know, yeah. environment. was. Now, I'd, I'd seen um, that, that, that there were some, I, I didn't make it any snow worlds, but there, there's some snow worlds and there's, you know, the wind plays like a factor as well. Is that correct on some of those? There's a factor, yeah. Is that what you mean? What's that? I said I said this like wind that plays a factor, right? In some of those levels. Oh, uh, sorry, I thought you said this at a factory level. Uh, yes, yeah, winds. <laughs> um, I don't think it actually affects anything, uh, but it's in the snowy levels. Okay. Um, Reduces visibility. Yeah, that's. It. I, mean, I was thinking it's just makes it a little more difficult to see what's coming at you. Okay. Okay. Uh, Rido, any any favorite levels or environments that you? really liked with this game you've, you've played it more than any of us so I'm, I'm sure you can probably nail it down well for all the wrong reasons i loved the treehouse level well you're completely wrong about that but okay <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's and that's more of just a sense of design and the perspective of all the trees in the background yeah 
From a practical perspective, it's probably one of the worst because when you are actually on one of the walkways, the perspective is that it loops around the tree. Right. But mm-hmm. It's a 2D platform game, so the edge of the actual platform object mm-hmm. doesn't always match up with what you think you're looking at. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, I had a hard time telling where I was actually going to fall. So you just leap off the edges yeah. of those treetop ledges. Yeah. Yeah. And and I remember like that board, you know, like like others. Um, it, it was really nice. Like the backgrounds on this game are fantastic. You know, just mm-hmm. you know, just what what's sitting the far in the backdrop. You know, just really beautiful. And I know that this one was, you know, pretty much the same as well. Mm-hmm. So talking about backdrop, about backdrop. Sorry to interrupt. No, please. The first time I played this game back in 94, um, when I went into the, into the first water level of the game, I was just so absolutely stunned and floored at the visual aspect of it that I got killed by the first uh, by the fish that um, <laughs> was right there because I thought it was a part of the background. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, one problem with all the, the moving backgrounds too. Is that it makes it hard to tell what's uh, an enemy or even what's a platform too. Sometimes the background mm-hmm. looks like something you can walk on. It looks great and uh, it's really impressive but uh, at the same time uh, gameplay wise it can make it a little more difficult right mm-hmm. so so we're we're kind of you know we, we talked about sort of the history of the game and you know we we've got this character basically donkey kong um who who kind of saves the super nintendo system with this game or you know, maybe not saves it but really helps it along to be, you know, become a greater and more popular system and this this character was basically a villain, you know, and, and it's, there's this sort of transformation. They've taken this villain um, from, you know, Donkey Kong, he's a villain. Donkey Kong Jr., a, a little bit of a sympathetic, um, you know, character because you've got Donkey Kong Jr. who's trying to rescue his dad, you know, out of the, the clutches of the evil Mario. And then Donkey Kong 3, which is, wow, what a weird game. We were talking about this earlier. If if if, if none of you have played Donkey Kong 3, just, you know, pop it in if you have it or watch a video. It's a very weird, like, exterminator type game. It, it makes no sense completely. Um, hmm. And then we go from this hero of this villain to this sort of this role of a hero. And that's uh, it, it's, it's an odd transition, but, you know, Nintendo found some way you know, to really make it work. And I, I find that very fascinating with this character. Um, you know, um, what what is it, I guess, that makes Donkey Kong, like, so beloved, you know, by, by so many people, you know, that, that play this? It had to be these early games yeah, that shed Donkey Kong in a new light. And handing off Donkey Kong to uh, to a new team who took it in a new direction was like, it was a risk that Nintendo took, Mm -hmm. but um, no, obviously uh, rare did a fantastic job and they, they really breathed new life into, into the Donkey Kong franchise Mm -hmm. as you know, we know now, because there's so many uh, Donkey Kong country games and spinoffs. But they really revived uh, the character. Mm hmm. Yeah, they did. I, would, I mean, I would say this is, you know, still to this day, this is one of, you know, Nintendo's top five characters, you know, as far oh, yeah. as, you know, you know, if you had to pull the series, I mean, you would, you know, you definitely, I mean, Mario, of course, you know, you would say probably um, Link. Link 
and mm-hmm. uh, maybe Kirby um, would would probably be a good one now. I don't, you know, probably in the top five, maybe just right outside of it. But Donkey Kong, I mean, just just so iconic, you know, to pull something from their pull something from their past, you know, and bring it to the forefront, you know, just says a lot about. Um, you know, about them and, you know, what they were trying to do with gaming, which I think, you know, Nintendo does a lot. They they really try to pull from the past and, you know, just, just freshen it up and, you know, just, just make a better mm-hmm. product. Well, we can see how beloved Donkey Kong's become because uh, he's in the uh, the kart games. Oh, right. The, the Mario Kart games, sorry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, he's in the Super Smash Bros. Okay. So, obviously, you know, people love him. People want more Donkey Kong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think about it, actually, well, I guess uh, Donkey Kong himself uh, first came back in this game, but um, I think it was Donkey Kong Jr. was in uh, the Super Mario Kart, uh, wasn't he? Or was it actually Donkey Kong himself? It was actually Donkey Kong that was, was in. It? I, yeah, I think it was. Because we, yeah. Because that game was actually three years before uh, DKC. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think it was uh, Donkey so, Kong Jr. Uh, was it Jr.? Yeah. I yeah, it was Jr. Because he was wearing the vest. Yeah, that's why I thought he had the vest on. But even uh, that, so, is still uh, a Donkey Kong related character, and uh, so even though this is DK's first main game, uh, right. there was still a little bit of connections to another game on the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. That's true. And I really feel like um, uh, this game solidified uh, Rareware's uh, connection to Nintendo throughout the rest of the decade. Like uh, this was the real launching point uh, through um, into the rest of the. Uh, the series that they've done. Yeah. What were there? Have has Rare done? I mean, uh, I'm assuming they're doing the Donkey Kong. They've done the Donkey Kong series. Is there anything else popular that that uh, some of us might recognize that Rare has done? Well, there's uh, lots of stuff on N64, like uh, Conker's Bad Fur Day, mm-hmm. uh, Banjo Kazooie and Tui, um, Jeff Force Gemini, Goldeneye uh, 007. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a few different things like that. Wow. On Super Nintendo, I can't really say because uh, I'm not Killer familiar Instinct. with that. Killer Instinct, yeah, that's another one. Okay, which also Sorry, that's on one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, no, that's good because I, I don't know the Super Nintendo uh, rare games as well. So um, they also need Battle Toads. Battle Toads, yeah. Okay. Well, they're not quite as uh, iconic, uh, or well, I guess now the internet's made it a little more iconic, but at the time it wasn't as iconic. <laughs> right, as right. It is now. Right. So, um, you know, talk a little bit about the game. Um, you know, as far as far as gameplay is, as as I was concerned, I, I mentioned it's it's a little bit bouncy. One of the more difficult things that that I found with the game was the uh, kind of how big the sprites are on the game. They're they're a little you know when you're used to playing like Super Mario Brothers or um, you know even games like Metroid. Typically, the sprites you know, take up a, a very small fraction of the screen. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've, you've got all this kind of free space to move in. With Donkey Kong Country, the sprites are quite large. I, I would say for sprites, I mean, you guys may disagree, but I, I, but I kind of feel like that kind of was a, a bit of a restriction and, you know, you had to play within a more kind of confined area. Yeah, I'd say um, for the context of the game, the sprite size was good but yeah it did feel like you had to move a lot more like tightly i guess mm-hmm. yeah yeah the and something else with the game too was like this is one of the first games that 
that I recall playing that there was sort of like a tag team system. Yeah, I can't think of any other ones before. Uh, most of the time when games had two players like this, it would either be just uh, multiplayer or um, something like that, or an alternating choices of characters, but it wouldn't be two characters within the same level that you could switch on the fly. Right, right. Yeah, because there were early things like, you know, I guess like, you know, like Nintendo had like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where you could switch characters in the middle. Yeah, but, exactly. But, yeah. you know, like this was, like you said, just sort of on the fly swapping. Mm-hmm. So just want to kind of get your opinions on that and just sort of the, um, I guess, sort of the duality of the, the two characters. What what made them kind of special and individual is, is what we could, you know, talk about between, you know, Donkey Kong and, and Diddy Kong. I think I'll let Ryder start with that one. I'd have to say that Donkey Kong is uh, really is a strong character, as in he mm. can jump on enemies that the small Diddy can't, and he has the ground pound, which you almost never use until you realise how you can use it. Like, there's so many hidden bananas on one-ups you can find using the ground slap. Never and knew it existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, down an attack and... Yeah, see, that's what I mean. It's one of these things where it's one of his primary abilities, but no one ever uses it, and you tend to miss out a lot. Like, I mean, in the first level alone, if you go up across into the treehouse and on top of all the trees across the level, you're in ground slide, and you can get a ridiculous amount of bananas and one-ups in the first level alone. Hmm. Whereas Diddy, he tends to be... If, I'm not sure whether this is entirely accurate but he tends to feel a lot faster to control so when you use his cartwheel as compared to donkey kong's roll it feels a lot faster when it connects with an enemy so it'll it'll connect with another enemy and another enemy whereas with dk's roll you could still get some momentum with it but you never felt quite as sure when it was going to stop (laughs) Mm. did you find yourself playing do you find yourself playing with one of the characters more than the other or you know, like when you lose a character, you're trying to find that that replacement. You know, that barrel where you can replace your char- replenish your character, and do you, do you automatically like swap back with a character? Uh, I tend to play Diddy purely because he feels a lot faster, just mm-hmm. even in basic movement. Right. Uh, but I quite often didn't switch back, largely because there are a lot of sections where it's a lot easier with Donkey uh, Donkey Kong because he can jump on things easier. I mean, I think there's one boss where he spawns out enemies, and you know, if you're in, um, if you're playing with Diddy, you can beat those enemies, but you wouldn't want to risk it because mm-hmm. you're just likely to knock yourself back into a position where you're going to be hit by something else. Right. That was something that got me killed so many times on some of the later levels, um, especially those ones with the floating platforms where you're supposed to be on that track, and uh, there's the enemies dropping from the ceiling. And there was a few times where I was stuck with Diddy, and I just kept getting hit off the edge, because any time I even touched them barely, then it knocked me back. Yeah, I I think it's, you know, I think that's a a really neat, you know, idea that they came up with, and, you know, just kind of having these two characters, yeah, I mean, you, you have, you know, two separate characters, but you're able to do different things with them and you know that they have different abilities and, and things of that nature and that was I think that's a really nice implementation of the game and unless you guys have anything else to talk about with this game or do you guys have any other points well um, I think I we have to, to mention sorry, oh, I'll let you sorry, I just wanted to mention uh, one thing about the uh, 
uh, the rolling uh, attacks that you mentioned uh. for either character. And one thing I didn't realize until after reading the game and then a friend was playing it and showing me that you can actually roll off the edge of a cliff and then in midair jump again to get a farther and faster jump. Yes. And I didn't even realize that uh, because I was seeing all these Kong letters in places where I felt it was impossible to get to. And I was like, how are you supposed to get that? And then my friend goes in and just instantly gets it because you know, he knows this roll jump that I didn't even realize existed. Mm. Like my, my instinct with any video game is to not roll off the edge. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you think? Wrong! <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's one section where... Um, in order to find a secret bonus level, you have to shoot a can um, from a cannon barrel into a wall, and your instinct is to normally avoid that, and that's how you get the one. Um, that's how you get one of the bonus levels. Hmm. Uh, but before we go on, uh, I think one of the things we should mention is the uh, the animal companions. Oh, absolutely. Oh what? yeah, I totally forgot about those. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, they play a pretty huge role in the game. Some more than others, but yes, uh, Rambi is the ob- uh, is the obvious one. You get him in the f- start of the first level. Uh, he's a rhino, and you jump on him. You can just plow through anything with his- with his horn, and he's a bit of a cheat because you can just walk up to a wall, and if it contains a bonus room, it will just automatically smash, and you'll walk in. Yeah, which is really nice. Oh yes, it was really <laughs> nice. They kind of tone that down in the next game, but which we'll which we'll eventually talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got Winky the Frog, which I always liked, even though apparently no one at Rare did because you've never seen him again. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from in the second game in Cranky's Museum, you see him stuffed in a um, stuffed in a glass case. <laughs> wow. <That's funny>. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get rid of a character. (laughs) (laughs) He ain't coming back. (laughs) Wow, they really must have not liked that character. I mean, you know. (laughs) uh... Uh, But yeah, he just basically hops and it's a good way to get um, get a bit of extra momentum and extra height. And he does make things jumping a lot easier in the levels he appears in. But he also slips off edges a lot more, uh, a Mm. lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, uh, same as... um... I think it's uh, the uh, fr- the frog suit in Super Mario Bros. Three. I uh, felt that it controlled almost the same as that. And uh, in both of those cases, I'm not a big fan of them just because of the fact that it is easier to slip off the edge. Right. Mm. Um, and other characters. I know there's a swordfish, right? A swordfish on guard. Mm-hmm. He's effectively essential if you're in a water level. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, he's not in all of them. Actually, no, I think he might be in all of them in different parts. I'm not sure about Croctopus Chase. Uh, he, um, if a fish walks... Um, if an enemy comes up uh, up to near his sword point, he'll just automatically stab it. And it's a good way to get some very quick fluid movement in water, which is normally fairly hard. Um, very, fairly hard to navigate in. Uh-huh. Uh, the downside is that sometimes if the enemy is a little bit off-centre... Mm-hmm whether you manually or whether he automatically jabs, it can count as a hit against you and you'll, and you'll eventually get hit for an enemy you should have killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, did, I did find that issue when I was, when I was playing. I, I didn't know that you could just get in front of the enemy and it would, you know, he would automatically attack. I would always, like, hit the, like, the thrust, like, the forward thrust button, you know, in enemies, and that oftentimes caused me to, um, you know, to lose... Yeah, uh, losing. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it it was yeah, once. It... Sometimes I just avoided using that um, uh, character. So, mm-hmm. 
I really enjoyed using them, but uh, yeah, I didn't actually realize that he automatically attacked, or at least I think if I did, it was sort of like I couldn't figure out what was causing it or how I was actually killing people without using the attack button. <laughs> it's sort of like just a fluke, because uh, there were certain cases where if you didn't get the angle right, he would st still get hit. Mm -hmm. So it was difficult to tell. Yeah, I, I think I just used that. I think I just used that companion as more of just kind of a way to navigate through the water a little bit easier where i'm not having to you know hit my swim yeah. swim button i can just you know just really navigate very easily through the water that was you know pretty much my my use of that uh, uh mm. like i said companion so does any and, um oh, i'm sorry the other uh, we still had mentioned uh the ostrich um, espresso uh, espresso yeah that was it <laughs> yeah and overall, I didn't really like Expresso that much, um, and mainly because you couldn't jump on enemies, and I found that yeah, more annoying than useful. <laughs> yeah. Like every I time mean, you go jump on yeah. them, you just uh, knock them off and have to chase after them for a while. I think there's only two or three sections where I consider him essential, and one of them is in Orangutan Gang to find a hidden, um, to find a hidden bonus room. Okay. Uh, other than that, he usually is more trouble than he's worth. Sure, the little uh, claptraps will run under him, but yeah, if you're going up a um, up a ledge, then that benefit is effectively negated. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does Does anybody have anything else to add to Donkey Kong Country? Not really. No, uh, I guess. Well, I mean, there's the other characters in the game who we hadn't talked about really, like uh, the oh, supporting okay. characters. But uh, I just wanted to mention the fact that uh, they really don't even feel all that necessary. I mm -hmm. mean, Cranky is a good character for the comic relief, uh, right. but uh, uh, the other ones like Candy and uh, Funky, uh, they really, to me, just feel like functions in the game and not so much characters. Uh, like, every time I'm thinking about Candy, I'm just thinking, I'm going to save. I'm not <laughs> going to uh, see what Candy wants to say or anything like that. And same with Funky, it's just like, uh, all right, I need to move around to the different levels. Right, right. Candy freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> It was yeah. all a case of you try you you're trying to sexualize a monkey in a game that's <laughs> got a target demographic yeah. of ten years old. Uh, <laughs> it is very kind of weird. Um, Cranky, I find interesting because Cranky is meant to be the original Donkey Kong. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Um, that's why he always complains about back in his day. You only yeah. had two frames of animation. That's because that's that was oh, his okay. role. Um, huh. Tradition from the old to the new. Okay. That's a really cool throwback to the originals. Mm. So even though he's named Donkey Kong, it almost makes it seem like uh, the Donkey Kong of this game could be like Donkey Kong Jr. growing up. <laughs> well, there has been a little bit of confusion because uh -huh. it's stated, I think, in the American uh, uh, in the American information, and I may have to be corrected on this point, that it's his grandson, whereas oh, okay. some other sources might say son. Yes. No, no, I, I read that as well. There was some confusion in some of the games that were released a little bit later where he's called his son. Cranky calls mm. Donkey Kong his son. And, you know, I think the perception of this was that it's sort of, a, it, it's his grandson, right, in Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, that was the, that was the official original explanation. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. so, so is there... um. A Donkey Kong uh, family tree somewhere out there. Yes, and it goes straight yeah. up. Slow, oh, okay. <laughs> no branches in the Donkey Kong tree. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
but uh, but yeah, the the supporting characters, I, I I have to agree. You know, they're little. You know, it, the comic relief was great, but you know, from Cranky, but you know, some of the other characters seemed a, a little odd and unnecessary, and wearing Bermuda shorts. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, actually, I think my favorite moment with Cranky was uh, during the credits, uh, which um, Richie wouldn't have seen, but uh, uh, Radu knows what I'm talking about. Is uh, like when he's he's zipping back and forth uh, on his wheelchair and uh, or his uh, rocking chair, I mean, and, um, and just like totally bashing your uh, style of play in the game. And he's uh, like, I could have beaten this in 30 minutes. And uh, back and forth. I would have so much better. Than you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the sad thing is that he's now a playable character in the latest one, Tropical Freeze. I think I which, heard about that, yeah. Yeah, which kind of defeats the purpose, uh, to me, at least to me, of Cranky, because he was always bagging your playstyle, but was never in a position to back it up. Nowadays, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, if you play the new game, you can say, "Oh yeah, well, I can beat this game in thirty minutes." Oh yeah, go ahead, do it. <laughs> 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 I dare you. <laughs> It'd be really awesome if they actually reference that, like put some little quips against him, sort of like say, "So here's your chance. Now what's up? What's wrong?" <laughs> so, well, I I had a perfect transition to go from the first game to the second game, talking about you know the additional characters. You know, how you've got, um, you know, you've got Diddy Kong and Donkey Kong in the first game. And then how you transition and you get another character in the second game. But, of course, you guys ruined that transition because you <laughs> wanted to keep talking about the game. So, my transition Glad now to is to blame you for ruining my transition. <laughs> you can't stop us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, the second game that was played during the month, maybe played, I, I, I was not able to play it uh, for the month. And I think a few other people <coughs> weren't able to play it during the month. But Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy Kong's Quest, um, was the second game played. Mm-hmm. And um, what I find fascinating about this game is it it is the second game in the series. And you've let off and you've got this huge revamp of Donkey Kong. And you basically omit him from the second game. That's... That's a little bizarre to me. So I, I mean, I know he's in the game, but he's he's not an active character, playable character in the game, right? Yeah, it's quite a uh, big jump after they just did this whole change for the first game and uh, the entire style of Donkey Kong, and then they go ahead and change it again. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, from what I've seen, anyways, uh, I was one of the ones who didn't actually play it either. But what I saw was uh, <laughs> that the essential gameplay was more or less the same. I think it's just kind of the storyline was changed. And um, some of the style was changed a bit, like uh, all of the Kremlings uh, were pirate-themed instead of military-themed and stuff like that. Right, right. But otherwise, I think the basics were pretty similar. I think the basics are a little similar. The gameplay was is a little different in the fact that um, Dixie Kong, um, who's who's our, our our newest Kong family member, we, you know, I, I don't know. Can you can you plot? Who who is she in relation to Diddy and um, Donkey Kong? Do we know? Um, I know, but I think I'm going to pass off most of this game on to Raito because <laughs> he's the only one here who actually played it. So. <laughs> I think it would be better to let him talk about it. Yeah, maybe maybe Raito can uh, take the stage for a bit because all I remember for DKC2 
is Dixie Kong's hair whip. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and that's and, and I was talking. I was talking about gameplay, and that is an essential difference in the gameplay because the hair whip is actually an action that causes her to glide. Right. So there's there's different areas and stuff that you have to get through and and navigate with that. So, but yeah, let's uh let's kick it over to Rido and, and uh, see what he thinks. Oh, naturally, the major difference. Um, with gameplay, switching a donkey out with Dixie. Um, again, the, hel- the helicopter hair, which is what I've always called it, uh, <clears throat> uh, allows for a lot, a lot of maneuverability in a lot of areas. It uh, also because both now both of the characters are the same size, they have what's known as a team-up attack, where you press a button and the inactive player jumps onto the active player's back, and they can th- be thrown at enemies. And there are some oh, really? enemies where, yep. And there are some enemies where it is a lot easier to kill using that method than it is at others. The downside is that if you say uh, if you throw, say Dixie, and it doesn't hit anything, she just sits there and cries. Uh, so <laughs> you can lose your secondary character if an enemy walks up, <laughs> um, if an enemy character walks up and hits it. So you still have to be. There is an element of risk behind it. Mm. And it also you can also throw your character up to reach hidden barrels and uh, and hooks. Um, so it is another form of extending the mobility as well as an, an additional attack form. So the, in a lot of ways, it's like uh, using the barrels in the first game, but now you're using your uh, second character. Yeah, you've basically got a free barrel um, at any given time. Mm. Uh, the downside I found with this, and this is speaking for me personally more than anything else, is that in the original DKC you could use, I, I think it's the A button, to switch between characters or you could use the select button to switch between characters. Now in DKC 2, the A button is a team up attack which means that you have to sl- use the select button for switching, um, switching between one character and the other. Now the natural disadvantage of that is that the select button usually isn't as reliable a button for regular gameplay mm-hmm. and I also had a bit of a problem with control pads where the control pad I my old original control pad had a down button that didn't work properly so I ended up having to buy a new one online and its down button didn't work the new one that I bought online, its down button didn't work properly either, or the rubber behind it was a little bit worn. But mm. also so were the start and select buttons. So the select button, so switching between characters was quite often a death sentence for me. And I would have to, quite often, it would, um, if I was with a character, it was easy just to be stuck with them. So did you adapt your playstyle to just using whatever character you had? Uh, I did, although it did, my playstyle usually tried to avoid getting hit. <laughs> That's <laughs> generally a good strategy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> I mean, it was especially painful on the final boss, where when it gets to the final round, having Dixie as compared to Diddy is a massive advantage, and especially if you can't, um, especially if you can't duck or move moved to the right very well so quite often it was a case of if I got stuck with D I'd either 
quickly grab the barrel to get my next partner in between rounds and then risk getting hit or injured. Or I would just run around like a madman and hope I didn't get hit because <laughs> I was only stuck with Diddy only. <laughs> my, my, my question to you is, would you describe this game as bouncy? <laughs> that is the important question. Is it as bouncy as the first one? These are the questions that people want to know answers to. Right. <laughs> this is what our listeners want to hear about. Is it bouncy? I would describe it more as fluid than bouncy. Okay. Because wherever, when the first game had a natural flow, which you could probably describe fairly mathematically, for instance, you could get into a mindset where you could jump up, hit an enemy which could normally kill you if you're not um, if you weren't prepared for it, and then bounce off into a barrel that you couldn't normally jump into. That was down to like mathematical position, that was the bouncy factor. Whereas here movement is a lot more fluid and it can be a bit of an adjustment playing from the fir- going from the first game to the second game. Because you have a little bit more control and maneuverability than, than what you're really used to. So you can just jump up and you try and manoeuvre yourself and then slip off the ledge you're aiming for because you are overshooting. Because the um, the control is a little bit more fluid than what you're expecting. Hmm. Well, that was that was a much better response than I thought I was going to get for that question, <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> that was fantastic, actually. <laughs> so one of the things I've also heard about the game is that they, with the second one, they actually amped up the difficulty a bit as well. So... You know, you kind of go from this kind of first game in the series that, you know, to me, I mean, I thought was was fairly difficult. Um, And it's yeah, same here. You know, maybe it's just maybe it's just my play style, and I just really suck at games like this. Um, But what what I've what I've heard is that the, you know, the second game was a little you know more difficult. Maybe you can speak to that. It's more difficult in the sense that one of the big things about Donkey Kong Country One is that. There, you can get a sense of pattern. There are, there's a lot more pattern recognition mm-hmm. um, into the way enemies move and the way bosses attack, which means that even after stop playing for 10 years, I could pick this game up and most of it came back very quickly. With DKC 2, it's not quite as tightly patterned, especially when it comes to bosses. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that kind of twitch muscle memory that you can rely on to the same degree. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Was there, um, you know, I, I know we're we're kind of spent most of our time probably talking about Donkey Kong Country, but are there any other things that, that you would like to add or say about Donkey Kong Country 2? It's not probably coming off the way, I'm ex- uh, way we've been talking about it, but... Mm-hmm. From a technical perspective, DKC2 was probably a better game, and it's probably more familiar to people who are more traditional platformers games. For instance, the first game, you didn't really have power-ups, that much in the way of power-ups, aside from Mm -hmm. your animal companions and your friend that you can switch to. Uh, Here, you've got things like more invincibility barrels, you turn turn into animals more than you ride them. so it's a lot more familiar to someone who plays, who's more familiar with Mario than DKC. Okay. Uh, there are a couple of animal changes that um, switched out. For instance, you've got like the snake that bounces rather than the frog that mm-hmm. bounces. Mm-hmm. And I don't, can't remember what it, uh, whether, oh, and you've got the spider. Mm-hmm. 
which basically sticks webs as platforms and webs as projectiles to attack. And that's a lot of fun to play with. Yeah, so you actually get a ranged attack on that one then? Oh, yes. Right. And it's one that you can angle up and down, so it allows for a quite a lot of precision and knowledge of, three, of having a three-dimensional environment other than beyond ground up death. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you know, and, and I don't want to sell, you know, the, the second game short. I'm, I mean, I'm sure it's a fantastic game, and as you said, you know, mm. a lot of people prefer it to the first game, uh, but I think, mm. you know, I think more of our conversation has kind of tilted toward, you know, the the game just being such a, a, a nuance and, and bringing an old character back to life and, you know, sort of the, the revival aspect um, of mm. that console. So, you know, I would say it's probably the reason we spend a lot more time, you know, on the first game. Um but um, but Besides yeah. the fact that only one of us played. <laughs> well, the there's that. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, hey, you know, work with me here. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, but 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 Radu, I, I really um, really thank you so much for uh, joining us on this podcast. We really enjoyed having you, and uh, you know, maybe we'll look at having you back again sometime. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I know that the time if if our listeners haven't noticed, um, he uh, he's Australian, so we've um, you know th- this sort of uh, time zone difference uh, has been kind of nuts, and uh, we really appreciate you um, you know taking some time out of your your day actually as we're in tonight time to uh to join us on on this podcast yeah so what time is it in australia right now uh, was it noon sunday Something it's like now 1 30 p.m okay. 1 30 p.m wow yeah on sunday uh, where i am right now it's uh 8 30 here <laughs> p.m <laughs> on saturday <laughs> and i'm uh i'm at 11 30 so <laughs> at night p.m so, but, but yeah, I really appreciate you, you know, joining us for this. And, um, also, you know, thanks for joining us in the playthroughs. You've, um, you've been one of our, uh, more regular players and, uh, I hope mm-hmm. you're, I hope you're in, enjoying that. If you have any feedback for us, you know, tell us now or, you know, in private, you know, feel free, let the world know mm-hmm. what, what you think about the playthroughs. Oh, it is a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad you're enjoying it. Congrats on getting the uh, highest amount of achievements too for uh, DKC Absolutely. and DKC too. I was expecting, yeah, I was expecting for it to be a lot tighter call between me and Flea. I was surprised that I was um, I was six achievements ahead um, ahead of him by the end. Yeah, yeah, it was quite a big gap there. And mm. Him and Dispose actually tied uh, their Dispose hero. So I wanted to thank this month's participants, not just those who got achievements, but everyone who played. We have Dispose Hero, uh, Dougley007, Engineer Mike, Flea, Monkeys19, NES Rules, Raidu, Retro Rage, Silent Scythe, uh, Single Banana, uh, Sigzilla, and myself, Tech Wizard. So thanks for joining us, everyone, and hope you enjoyed your time with this game. Right. But yeah, so, um, you know, thanks, thanks again for joining us, and we're just going to go ahead and talk about our modern game uh, for the month which was Lost in Shadow. So for the modern playthrough in May we played a game 
uh, released in January of 2011 called Lost in Shadow. And uh, our leader for this game on the modern playthrough was Mr. Fleech Floyd. So I'm going to let you take it away and tell us a little about the game. All right, so as Rich uh, already mentioned, it's a uh, 2011 Nintendo Wii exclusive game developed by Hudson. It's a puzzle platformer um, with a pretty simple premise. Your shadow has been cut away from your body and your objective is to climb to the top of the tower and reunite uh, body and uh, spirit. So this was probably our lowest participated in playthrough and you know we expect that sometimes that's fine um, of course Floyd played the game uh, and um, since he was hosting and we had a few others that played we had Dougley 007 who played and I think monkeys 19 played the game though I'm not for sure he kind of disappeared off the forums there um, and then we had someone else who played the game, as many of you know. Uh, Mr. Disposed Hero plays most of our games, and you know we've uh, lovingly referred to him in the past as the Beast because he does play a lot of our games. And we're fortunate enough to have him um, on the podcast with us today. So say hello, Stephen. All right. How's it going, everybody? Great, great. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Um, so we'll just go ahead and get into the game and talk a little bit about the concept of the game. Um you know, as Floyd said, you, you start out as this shadow and you're traversing. It's sort of a, a 2D platformer um, with other, you know, types of special elements. So, Floyd, I'll let you let you guys just kind of take it away, talk about a little bit about the elements, um, you know, kind of the controls of the game and such. Sure. Um, controls are, are pretty interesting. It's all done with the uh, Wii Remote and the Nunchuck. The Wii Remote controls this... Um, glyph type butterfly thing which you hover over things you can interact with and all the controls of your uh, player character are done with the uh, nunchuck joystick all of the uh, gameplay takes place in the background of the um, set pieces so in the foreground you'll see the physical uh, buildings or bridges or staircases and in the back is where you'll see those objects, or the, I should say the shadows of those objects, and that is where your character is moving on. So I had quite a bit of a learning curve getting used to thinking not in the foreground, but in the background. Uh, did that uh, uh, trip anybody up here? Yeah, I had the same issue. And how long did it take you guys to kind of get used to that mechanic? Not too long. Um... Probably about uh, five ten minutes, uh, but still, like all of my platforming games are stuff like Mario, um, Sonic. So and everything is really easy to see and easy to follow. So this was fairly uh, fairly new and different to me. Right, right. And the mechanics of this game seem to be, um, you know, sort of this idea that you could. You know, you played in the shadows, but then there were also images that were in the 3D world um, that you could actually manipulate, um, you know, sort of like these light moving sources, like these platforms and stuff that you could adjust um, and and move so that the shadows of these light sources would actually move and then you could, you know, traverse, you know, different areas in yeah, the game. Right. So if there was a, like a large gap, you could move a bridge, uh, for example. And that would affect its shadow and create another platform for you to cross that gap. 
Um, you could also swing light sources, which um, gave you sort of swinging platforms. Okay, sort of a rotation sort of deal? Yeah. Um, okay. Really interesting that you mentioned that rotation sort of deal, because there are <laughs> gates that you go through, uh, and they're scattered throughout the, uh, the levels. And I don't know if anyone else here has played uh, the indie game Fez, Mm-hmm. But yep. uh, when you go into those um, gates, you enter this 3D world where you have to get from one door to the other door, and you have to ro- rotate your set in a three-dimensional plane. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to do that kind mm-hmm. of uh, puzzle platforming. Very similar to Fez, albeit a lot less colorful. Mm-hmm. So you're rotating the world around yourself and not the other way around? Exactly. Hmm. Huh. Which I, I really love those little moments. They they were they were quite fun. And there's there's other sort of game features in the game and I know you mentioned before and maybe we should talk about the introduction a little more of the game. You you start out in the introduction and your you know, your um your I guess your persona, your personal self is sort of hanging, um, you know, from this sort of platform at this top of this building and there's a um executioner type being that comes out with a sword and sort of cleaves your shadow away from your body and throws it away from the building and so the point of the game is to you play as the shadow you're trying to reunite your shadow with your um, 3d self correct that's right okay so there are points in the game um, that that I did notice again I didn't play the game you know I'm, I, I watch a lot of video you know you know that's the burden of the host, right? I have to I have to watch the video if I'm not playing the game, and um, you know try to sort of sort of put this together. And there's parts in the game where you can access as the shadow. You can actually step into the 3D world. Is that correct? Uh, disposed here. Do you have any yeah. any comment on that? <laughs> yeah. At some point in the game, you maybe about halfway through, you get a new sword that allows you to step through these. Uh, light gate sort of things I'm not really sure what they're called but uh-huh. you uh, step out of the shadows and into the real world and uh, basically the main purpose of that is just to manipulate objects in the foreground like maybe pushing okay. boxes or rotating pillars or something to uh, uh, move their shadows in the background and create platforms or open up paths for you okay so that so that happens you said probably around halfway through the game Right? Yeah, I think about halfway through. Okay, so probably stage 30 is, you know, maybe we didn't mention, but there, there are about approximately 60-plus floors in this game, and, and there is a final boss. Um, that's a lot of floors. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of floors, uh, you know, to be you know playing sort of like a puzzler. Um, so you mentioned something about a sword. Um, so can you guys talk a little about the, um, the weaponry that you can you can achieve in this game maybe some of the enemies and things of that nature how those kind of play into the game yeah the first sword that you find is a um, rather short and weak blade that um, that you pick up fairly early and it's pretty much used exclusively to uh, dispose of of any enemies that you encounter along the way and um, as uh, Disposed has already mentioned, there is a uh, a more mystical weapon that you pick up. If you want to tell our listeners what that's all about. Yeah, throughout the game you do find um, a few more swords. Um, I think each one maybe has 
slightly longer reach or it does slightly more damage. Um, but functionally, they're all the same. They just slash. There's, you know, no special abilities gained from them uh, in terms of combat. Are they uh, more powerful, though, with the newer ones, or is it just kind of a stylistic thing? I believe they were a little more powerful. Uh, I don't remember exactly. Um, they do have a longer reach, which was which is a pretty big deal in this game because the original sword oh, okay. you get has a very limited reach, um, and it helps a lot to have uh, that longer range. Yeah, I, I pretty much compared that first sword to a butter knife. It's it's pretty un- ineffective. Yeah. <laughs> so, so throughout the game, what to- types of um, enemies do you kind of come across in the game? Uh, you uh, run into a bunch of uh, spider-type enemies that will crawl and follow you or try to corner you. Uh, there are these sort of, I don't know, they, they kind of look like like puffy imps. And they float around on these balloons. Okay. There's there's a few other things. There there are moments are where you can. All... Oh, sorry. Someone. Uh... Oh, sorry. I was just gonna check. Um, are these all shadow enemies too, or are these actual three D enemies uh, that you're fighting? No. Uh, the enemies that I encountered were all uh, in in the shadow background. All of the enemies oh, okay. are shadows so, throughout yeah. the entire game. So everything you're interacting with, except for the occasional. Um, transition to 3D, uh, most of the things are shadows as well, not just yourself? Even when you go into the 3D um, parts of the game, I, I don't, there may have been some enemies, I, if, if, I don't really remember if there were, there were very few and far between, but they still didn't have much of a design to them, they would still mostly be shadows, even if they were enemies, hmm. or in, in the 3D areas. I think there were moments where you could avoid combat too. Um, so I definitely took advantage of those and, and really only had to uh, fight when, I, when it was an absolute must. Okay. So, so along with fighting, um, I guess a good transition would be to talk a little bit about your health in this game. Um, you know, not the normal, from what I recall, not the normal as far as like a health bar or, you know, um, you know hit points or, or something like that. I'll let uh, Dispose talk a little bit about um, the health in this game because uh, we were speaking before... Um, before the podcast, and he had some really interesting things to say about it, so I'll let him go with that. All right, the uh, the health in this game is uh, represented as weight. It's measured in grams. You find um, memories throughout the game. They serve as the collectibles in this game, and each one gives you a, a short message, which kind of helps flesh out the story and gives you some insight into what the main character is thinking, and they also increase your max health. The um, the final memory you find in the game actually tells you that you want to weigh at least uh, 21 grams, which, uh, from what I read, is actually a reference to a early 20th century uh, physician who um, hypothesized that the human soul weighs 21 grams. Uh, I believe that's where the uh, developers of the game got the idea. You see, that's... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I was just going to say that uh, matches up uh, with what the game seems to be trying to do. Like, uh, you're trying to reconnect with your body, and it seems like the shadow idea is kind of a metaphor for the soul. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you find... Um, did you guys typically die a lot in the game? Um, the enemies, or was, you know, is it more of not being able to figure out the puzzles and, and having to restart as far as the puzzles are concerned. Tell me a little bit about the, you know, the gameplay and the way that works. And, and, and things, you know, ways in which you actually lose, um, I guess, weight 
in this game. Well, you'd lose, uh, or your shadow would lose weight by, by taking damage from enemies. Right. And when your shadow's weight reached zero, that brought on, on a game over. So there, like, there were instances where, where that was the result of my um, fail state, and, and sometimes it was just getting stuck on a, uh, on a puzzle. So I did find the game not unfairly difficult, but it, it, was, it was a nice challenge. Mm-hmm. I, I died a lot in the beginning, I think. Um, like, like we said, your beginning weapon is um, not very powerful, and you don't have a lot of health or, or weight in the beginning. But after I leveled up and uh, increased my health and got a couple of better swords, um, I, didn't, I didn't die very often. I was doing a lot better with the combat. Okay. So that's that's usually how if if you did you know lose your life in this game it was typically I guess the point I was trying to make earlier it was typically through battles with enemies and things of that nature not like you know how some some puzzle games have it so that you know if you get to a certain spot you know there's certain ways you have to do a puzzle if you don't do it the correct way there'll be like a button like where you can sacrifice you know your life uh, to start the puzzle over were, were there any instances of that was it that type of puzzle game I guess that's kind of my question. Well, you could restart your uh, your levels, uh, but most of the time you could just backtrack and maybe find the okay. uh, the memory or the gate that you missed and, and activate it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You never really had to restart just to complete a puzzle. There was always usually a way to finish it. So, what was take me through like a typical level? Um, what was the what was the goal of each level? Was it just to reach an end spot? Were there things you had to do before you could reach that end spot? That's pretty much it. I mean, it's just get from okay. A to B. Y- you, okay. had to, you had to find these three, um, they call them monitor eyes. Oh, um, okay. If, if you didn't find all three of them in the level, then there would be a barrier uh, next to the exit and you couldn't get out. So, And the levels could be a little maze-like sometimes, and mm-hmm. you'd have to traverse the whole level and go through all these different paths mm-hmm. to find all of these eyes so okay. you could uh, complete the level. Okay. All right. I, I guess, you know, we had spoken before, and we had mentioned, like, some battles and things like that, enemies. And, you know, as far as bosses were concerned, was this game one that you would run into, um, you know, a, a good amount of bosses where, you know, or were you just basically just kind of fighting re- these recycled sort of enemies through the game? Lots of recycled enemies. That uh, That's what I encountered. Right. Hero, any any comments on that? There weren't really any uh, boss fights other than the final boss. Okay. A couple of the levels in the game had you um, running from this giant shadow monster, but it wasn't really a fight. You just had to... Uh, get to the exit before it caught you. Okay. Okay. So uh, from what you guys are saying, it sounds like you know, there's not a whole lot of variety in what you have to do. It's just kind of uh, solve the puzzle, defeat the enemies that are around, and uh, find the exit, rinse and repeat. So did it get like boring at all, or did it manage to stay interesting throughout? The game does get pretty repetitive. Um, I found I could, only, I could only really play it in a short bursts, maybe do um, two or three levels at a time and have to put it down for a while just because it was just more of the same every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. That, that's, uh, that was my approach too. Just uh, in you know, short maybe 30, 45 minute uh, play sessions because it's, uh, I think we already mentioned it's about uh, 60 floors to this tower and it's mm-hmm. 
a lot of the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and as I was, you know, doing some research on the game, that that was sort of sort of the consensus I came across too with what a lot of people had said about the game. It said that, you know, of course it's an interesting concept. I think that's something we could really all agree on as far as this game's concerned. I mean, you know, I I, I myself am just a huge fan of these oddball, you know, type titles and games. But from what a lot of people said that the gameplay doesn't really follow through. There's not a lot of you know, there's not of intricate like changes. You're, you know, every level seems to be, you know, figuring out a puzzle. But in the same sense, there's not really. It gets harder, but there's not really a lot of elements or anything like that added to the game. Correct. Not much reward. Right. It's pretty much more of the same throughout the entire game. Okay. Yeah, and that's um, that's what uh, kind of disappointed me too, because um, its premise is really cool. Um. It, and and the the like philosophical tie-in with the with the concept of the game, you know, is really really thought-provoking, and it's enough to suck you in and make you want to play, but just the gameplay for me didn't deliver. Right, right, and, and probably probably one of the reasons that we chose this game for the month, right? I mean, we'd heard some we had heard some good things about it, and you know the. You watch the intro, you watch the trailer, I mean, it looks like a fascinating game. You know, something that would be great and, you know, a really fun platformer that, you know, possibly not a lot of our members had heard about. And that's, you know, sort of the reason we kind of looked at this game, right, Floyd? Yeah, it's definitely like, um, it's definitely a hidden gem on on the Wii. But um, I think why it is hidden is because it's on the gameplay side, it's, it's rather lacking in it. Maybe it would appeal to more of like um, like a thinking, thinking man type person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems like there's quite a few games out on the Wii that are uh, really not that well known at all, but they're pretty good overall. I mean, this one doesn't sound like the best game, but it still sounds really interesting. Right, right. And if you're, you know, I just kind of like to point out if you're if you're interested in you know bolstering your Wii collection, now is a great time to do that. You know, you know, with this transition to Wii U. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of places, especially like GameStop, um, you you can pick up a lot of these titles cheap, and it's it's um, probably a good time to do that before they start getting really heavily picked over. Um, so you know, this is definitely one I would say some of our members would probably want to add to their collections, especially. What were the things with this game? I mean, it sounds like you know you guys are sort of lukewarm as far as the game's concerned, you know, overall. But were there any things about the game that really stood out to you, or that? you actually really did enjoy about the game or you thought that they did well? I'll, I'll shoot it to you first, Steven. Well, I do think the gameplay was was good. Um, okay. I enjoyed it. It's just, like we said, it was just very repetitive and just more of the same all the time. Um, right. they, they didn't really introduce any gameplay mechanics throughout the course of the game. It was, from the very beginning, it was, they pretty much gave you, uh, you know, everything you would need for the entire game and that was it. Okay. So I think if it just had some more variety, it, it would probably have been much more well-received. But yeah, that said, I, I did enjoy the gameplay. Was it pretty smooth in the controls and everything? I think so. You know, it could have been a, a little better, of course. I felt like the the platforming and the movement did have a good weight to it. Mm-hmm. Possibly could have been a bit more fluid, but uh, overall I would say it was pretty well done. Okay, okay. And, and you, Floyd, I know you played you know, through about half of the game. What would you say are some things that really stood out to you or things that you, you know, enjoyed about the game? 
I want to start off by saying it's a well-made game. Uh, even mm. though it sounds like we're kind of, you know, hesitant to, to recommend it or anything like that, but it, it's it's a well-made game with, um, as, uh, as Exposed Hero has already mentioned, you know, pretty solid controls. Um, what brought me to it was the the the, the concept behind it um, like I'm, I'm a real big uh, real big guy on like narrative in games so you know I thought okay this is gonna be an interesting story but it was enough to bring me in and it was enough to keep me going but I, I found the sort of lack of bringing in new ideas um, rather trying mm-hmm. well it seems that and I, I think Floyd you and I had talked about this at one point we've been doing a, a lot of games these sort of I, I guess the best way to call them and, and we're playing one next month in Shadow of the Colossus um, these sort of isolation type games where you're you know you play as this character and there's this feeling of kind of loneliness you know where you're on your own um, one of the games we played last year of course was Fragile Dreams that had that sort of same concept, you know, you would you would meet other characters as you moved along through the game, but pretty much, you know, through the entire game you were sort of, you know, playing it kind of solo, you know, not not sort of as a as a group. Um it, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say that um you know, I like that there are these games that are really focusing on the individual player because it kind of lets you get into that player's head and like explore what their motivations are and maybe in a way sort of extrapolate you know a deeper meaning on i don't know something like like the human condition or you know like themes of of loneliness or or you know fear and isolation and all that uh and fragile dreams hit on that really well mm-hmm. um lost in shadow perhaps goes more in, into a philosophical realm. Uh, at the very beginning, you have that, that uh, image of the executioner type, and your, your character's uh, comatose or lifeless body just hanging there. And his soul, I'm just going to call it a soul, his soul is uh, cut away from his body, and thrown down to the bottom of this tower and you can you can really sort of infer these um deeper meanings that it's maybe he's been cast out of this utopic heaven type place mm-hmm. yeah we're we're really left i guess we're really left to wonder what's going on here um in this story you know we get that small bit from the beginning but you know, do we do we get any bits of story throughout? Is there is there anything that kind of gives us any sort of hint as to you know why we're in this situation um, throughout the game? Is that you know maybe something that could have been added to this game uh, to make it a little bit better? To maybe you know make you want to continue playing the game? You know as you progress through these levels. Well, it's disposed here already mentioned. You have the the collectible memories. Mm-hmm. Which give you more uh, backstory on on the character and the and the circumstances. Okay. Was there anything that stood out to you in those memories, uh, disposed hero? They do um, expand on the overall story. You do get um, it does tell you why um, 
this executioner guy has separated your soul from your body. Mm-hmm. And, and the purpose is for the soul to uh, traverse the entire tower mm-hmm. to be able to uh, defeat this uh, shadow monster, which I'm not sure. Did I mention that already, the shadow monster? You did. You yes, did sort of. Okay. You mentioned it yeah. chases you through the game a lot. Right, yes. Okay. And uh, so that, that's, that was their purpose. The, the executioner guy is, I, I guess he's one of the inhabitants of the tower, and their goal is to be rid of this shadow monster, and they can only be defeated in the, in the shadow realm. From the perspective of someone who hasn't played the game, uh, I just wondered, does the game make it clear that that's what the uh, the executioner and maybe his people want? Or is this just kind of inferred by the game through the experience of the shadow? Or is it pretty clear that that's what they want? I think want? you kind of have to it, put it those pieces you. together, right? It, it does pretty much tell you. If you collect these uh, memories, which most I think most of the um, important story-related memories are placed directly in your path, so... Uh, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed to find those. Oh, okay. Because uh, I'm just thinking that uh, when I'm hearing that you're having your shadow separated or your soul from an executioner's axe, it almost sounds like your original character had done something wrong, like criminal, and this is punishment, and you're going down your souls into hell or something like that, and the tower is trying to uh, redeem yourself, like climbing back up. That's kind of how it sounds to me anyways. Yeah. But I- maybe the game makes it a little clearer than that i think that's probably i think that's probably an accurate like guess as far as like when you start the game and you know yeah you, you do oh, sounds like an there is impression. a there is a feeling of punishment you know you don't feel like you know i get i guess you feel like you're, you're sort of as you're going through i guess you feel like you're being sort of used to defeat this um this being or this shadow monster you, you don't feel like you know that this is this this is like a good thing. You know you've got this executioner guy coming out with a special sword. He's cutting off your shadow and he's just kind of tossing you off the end. You know it does it does in a way at the beginning feel like that there's that this is some sort of punishment. But in reality, um, I guess as you're saying, Stephen, there's actual an actual purpose for doing that, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. A better purpose than uh, what my first impression uh, would have been. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I think you're accurate, and that is sort of the first impression you get, you know, when you start out this game. I mean, it's definitely, you know, as I, as I watched the beginning of the game, um, that's, you know, that's exactly, you know, what I came away with, sort of the same thing, you know, and that, that, that possibly the whole point of this game was to reunite yourself, you know, your shadow with yourself and to fight this executioner at the top of this tower, but that doesn't happen as as we know right that's what i went into the game thinking Mm -hmm. but like after playing some more and and now talking to you guys it seems like perhaps uh the theme of redemption is not quite the right um interpretation and it's more that your character uh has been made like a sacrifice to save this tower from the evil shadow monster. Yeah. Hmm. And, and I think this would be a good time maybe to even talk about the ending a little bit. And, and I know that, um, you know, we, did, we didn't have a lot of people to participate in this. And so if you want to cut it off right now, if you don't want anything spoiled, it's probably a good time to, uh, you know, stop listening to this section of the podcast. Um, but, but we do always try to get into the endings of these. And I'm going to let Steven talk a little bit about the ending and sort of what happens at the end. So at, at the end of the game, you uh, defeat the final boss, 
and your character just sort of passes out and before he um, completely passes out you see this executioner guy we've mentioned carrying your body back to you and when you wake up you're just at the entrance of the tower with your body um, you're whole again and you see the character walk out the uh, front door of the tower and uh, that's that's pretty much it so so what would seem to be you know from from listening to you describe it would seem to be sort of a, a somewhat uneventful ending almost you know and here you are, you yeah. play this game with 60-plus stages, and basically you're only reunited with your shadow. There's no confrontation with this person who has executed you. You've been, basically, I guess you've been, I don't want to say duped, but maybe used into taking out the shadow being. But right. there is something in the ending. The credits roll after that, and then at the end of the credits, there is, you get a flash of something else. And, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. And for me, that's sort of what added, you know, a, a great deal to this story. And I thought it was a very fascinating, you know, last shot or sort of glimpse of, of the end of the game. So um, I'll let one of you guys to kind of describe, you know, what happens at the very end after the credits roll. Okay. Um, right after the credits, screen uh, fades back to the shot of the tower. But this time you have like the shadow version of the tower you just climbed right beside it. And then it slowly pans out and you see another tower and another tower and another tower. <laughs> Until basically the whole screen is just filled with towers, right? Yeah, it's almost like an infinite uh, horizon of, of towers. So I guess, you know, with the ending and from from what I saw in this, it's sort of minimalized what you just did or what you just went through it seemed like you know yeah there's you're a part of this one tower but there are these infinite number of towers out there so in a sense it becomes less of a small scale story and a bigger or a bigger story and it becomes more of a small scale story on a bigger map I guess is the way to look at it, it sort of becomes this every man journey right Right, sort of like what you just did was a microcosm of what's going on in that game world. Right, and it, this is happening all over the place as well, right? I mean, it's not just happening on one tower, it's happening on every tower. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like it could be a representation of just people's lives, you know, like uh, every person is going through this journey to the top of the tower and trying to find their own conclusion. Right, right, Maybe, or that... Yeah. Or that this doesn't happen just one time, it can happen multiple times. You know, we, we don't know that, we don't get that interpretation, but that, you know, this this shadow monster or this demon is something you're kind of forced to face, like other things in life, you know, you're forced to face other things in life, you know, whatever problems are out there, you're forced to face them, you know, and traverse and to, to get to that point and, and face it, and it's almost like you're you know, as far as this executioner being is, you're getting cut off and you're getting thrown off the tower and you're being able to come back up the tower to force um, or, or to address this problem. You know, it's not something that you have a choice in. It's something that you're sort of forced to do or pushed into. And so I, I found that interesting. And, and as a result, I, I did a little bit of research and just to kind of you know, look at sort of mythology and, and like shadows and things of that nature. And I found it interesting that some of the first people to really sort of discuss shadows were the Egyptians. 
and they sort of thought that each person was composed of sort of two personas. There was this physical, visible person uh, with characteristics that we incorporate into our everyday self. Basically, that's our visible being. And two, there was this dark, manifested, and sort of hidden self um, that consisted of unused aspects of ourselves and potential, um, our potential for personal evolution. So, and and also was basically things that we have not become or things that we were afraid to become. So I felt that that was, you know, just sort of reading that in this kind of, um, you know, philosophy that the Egyptians had and sort of incorporating it into this game, I thought was extremely interesting. You know, like, you, you know, you're sort of forced to go into the shadow world and face, you know, these things um, that we're afraid of, you know, things in ourselves that we're afraid of as well. So I don't know. Did you guys have any, maybe some thoughts on that? Or, I mean, am I, am I completely off and bonkers in the way I'm looking at this game right now, you know? No, I, I don't think I, too far off. I don't think you're you're far off at all, and I think it's fantastic that experiencing this game made you want to go and research the mythological significance of shadows. Yeah, I thought it. I thought it also interesting just to kind of throw this out there. You know, typically when games are you know titles are put out, this game was released uh, January two thousand eleven um, on the Wii, the North American version, but it was also released in Australia and Europe. Uh, and it was called A Shadow's Tale there. And then in Japan, it was called Tower of Shadows, which I think is more, um, um, kind of highlights the ending a little more, Tower of Shadows, you know, where you've got multiple, you know, there's a sense of, you know, sort of duality and um, that, that exists in that title and maybe, you know, a little bit of a foreshadowing as to, you know, maybe what the game was about. That is a, a more appropriate uh, title. Um because um, as we've already mentioned, you have that shadow self, and then you have that um, light self, I guess, for lack of a better word. And it almost mm-hmm. represents that uh, yin and yang. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought, you know, conceptually, this game was, you know, phenomenal. I mean, I, you know, the more I think about the ending, the more I, the more I like it. Uh, and it probably is, many games do many people, it caught me probably at a really... Um, a really good time. I, I had actually just finished reading, um, I read a, a lot of Haruki Murakami. Um, he's a Japanese author. He's a more modern author. Um, if you guys haven't read anything by him and you like to read, uh, I can definitely suggest some great titles to read. But I just finished reading a, a book called uh, Hard, Hard-Boiled Wonderland in the End of the World. And it was it's sort of a book that's sort of split up into these sort of different sections where they talk about um, you know, one section is about this sort of hard-boiled uh, detective noir um, sort of story. And then the next chapter, you'll get this different story about this man who's trapped um, inside this little village. Uh, and it's more of a, um, um, it's sort of a metaphor for the mind. And he loses his shadow. And that, and that storyline, he's trying to reunite himself with his shadow but there is this gatekeeper who actually cuts his shadow off of him and removes it from him and he's trying to reunite himself with his shadow before that shadow dies and so i mean you can really see how this um you know kind of um 
melds up with uh, Lost in Shadow, you know, the game. Yeah, maybe uh, and, uh, uh, the developers have read that book. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> or or Murakami and the developers had were in touch with, um, you know, the mythology of the Egyptians, you know, with the shadow, with the shadow mm-hmm. world. So I, I think that that on itself is, uh, um, you know, probably the, the bigger ideal there in aspect. Um, so, you know, just some things to think about, you know, um, I don't get so deep into all these games, but I think with something like this and a title like this, it allows you to, you know, it, it's, it's more of a sort of philosophical title. Sure, it's a platformer, but, you know, the storyline is, um, you know, very melancholy, um, desolate. It's very minimal and it's very minimalistic. So it, it kind of forces you to project and, and to try to figure out what's going on. And, uh, I find that fascinating, and uh, you know when a when a story in a video game can do that, and uh, we'll certainly be playing one next month that leaves a lot to the imagination as well, right? Yeah, we're mm-hmm. going to be doing a lot of um, games that are open to interpretation and games that encourage um, thought and speculation. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, with Shadow of the Colossus in June, and then even the uh, July red. Uh, modern side uh, it's gonna have quite a few of those as well right right so uh, any final thoughts in the game anything that you would that you guys would like to say maybe uh, floyd or steven yeah i'll start off by saying i would recommend this game but with a bit of a warning like don't expect too much out of it but if you want a well thought out and thought-provoking story with some nice tricky puzzles along the way definitely go for it it's not a game that you're going to like sit in front of your tv for hours and hours playing because it's just too melancholic and desolate for that and repetitive (laughs) but um definitely it's a game worth experiencing okay and steven your thoughts yeah it's a it's a good game um i'm glad i played it um it's it's probably not one I would revisit. It's um, it's pretty repetitive. It's good for short to play in short bursts. Um, well, it's it's a good solid title. I think uh, uh, you know, if you're interested in that sort of thing, a good 2D puzzle platformer, you should check it out. Yeah, yeah, something unique and a bit of a hidden gem. Right, right. I would, I guess, the best way to describe it for me would be a bathroom game. It's like that. <laughs> it's like that book that you keep in your bathroom, right? That you're only gonna like go to like on certain occasions, play for a little while, and then put it back down, and then come back to it later, you know. So um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the best way to describe it. <laughs> Sounds kind of odd, but that's, that's but, our know. new rating system. <laughs> <laughs> Bathroom, Bathroom game. game. <laughs> it doesn't mean bad. It just means you know, it's one that you pick up for a little while, play, you know, in spurts, put it back down, come back to it a little bit later. That's so. right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, great discussion, guys. And Stephen, I just want to thank you for joining us. And we want to thank you also for uh, all of your work, all of your thoughts on the forums and comments. Uh, we really appreciate it. You, you you truly do a great job on our website of, you know, playing along and, you know, keeping this playthrough thing going. And we certainly appreciate that. And we'd love to have you on the show again sometime. No problem. Thanks for having me.
Well, that wraps up Episode 3 of the RF Generation Community Playthrough Podcast. Thanks to all our members who joined us. And a special thanks this month to Rido and Disposed Hero for joining us on the podcast. For June, we look forward to discussing the classics Suicoden and Shadow the Colossus. Thank you for listening, and until then, happy gaming.